Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What is up? Hello, Night Nation. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon, along with my partner in crime, Eric Lopez. Elo, this is our, let's call this our 2017-2018 kickoff show. The summer sessions are done from here on out, week in, week out. It's going to be live stuff. Well, not live stuff, but like, but like, we're talking, we're steamrolling into this, into this year with UCF Sports, buddy. Here we are, man. How does it feel? How, are you are you well rested from the summer? Are you ready to get going here with 2017? I'm ready. I have planted the flag. Yes, I'm ready. Yes, you got your right. you got your flag. <laughs> I got they 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 passed us out at at football media day. The uh, the flags, right? Which I want to I want to go get like one of those flagpoles that you hang outside your your house and put that up. And uh, and and believe me, the similarity. Listen. The similarity between that UCF flag and our black and gold banneret logo is not lost on me. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Notice, notice, yep. notice the logo. Yeah, yep. you know. I mean, and and, and hey, look. I mean, I'll, I'll listen. I I I'm not one to take credit for things that I shouldn't take credit for, but I'll take some credit for that if you want to give it to me. I'm not. Wow. Well, you just, well, you just did. <laughs> so uh, all right. So here's uh, here's what we got on tap. This is show number sixty. Eric Lopez, and basically show number one of the 2017-2018 uh, year. We've got uh, just a reminder for all of you, of course, hit us up at blackandgoldbanneret.com. We're going to be diving in hard on some writing here as we kick off. Basically, here's my idea. This coming Monday is when we're going to really start ramping up our coverage leading up to football and the fall sports, volleyball, men's and women's soccer and everything. Uh, myself, you... Uh, our buddy Brian Murphy, we're going to be hard at work uh, cranking up some content here as we lead, as we lead up to the football season and all the and all the other seasons. Because don't forget, women's soccer is actually we're recording this Friday afternoon because we had some technical difficulties earlier in the week. We're getting this out late a little bit, but if you're listening to this on Friday evening, don't forget women's soccer SEC Network tonight is the first UCF sporting event of the year. So we're going to have that to look forward to. We're going to have our fall. Uh, uh, coaching interviews coming up um, with uh, Todd Dagenet from UCF Volleyball, uh, hopefully with Tiffany as well, uh, Tiffany Roberts-Hadak from uh, Women's Soccer, and the new head coach of UCF Men's Soccer, uh, Scott Calabrese as well. In fact, we have that one in the can already. Scott Calabrese is great. You guys are going to love that interview. That's going to be up on Monday uh, morning. Um, what else do we have? We have our, we're going to have some football previews, our six biggest questions facing UCF football. Me and uh, myself and Brian Murphy, we're going to be hard at work on that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's going to be a busy, uh, busy couple weeks here as we kind of crank things up here for uh, 2017. Remember, hit us up on blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, follow us, like us, uh, and holler at us on Facebook. Just look up Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, also hit us up on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret, you can hit me up at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can hit Eric up at Eric Lopez Elo. And wanted to mention this, Eric. Finally, at long last, you know, you can download this podcast, tell your friends, do whatever, uh, on a number of different platforms. Of course, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and just recently, finally got it on Stitcher. Finally got it on Stitcher. It took me literally months of wrangling that but we finally got it on stitcher i'm happy about that uh so if you like uh so if you like stitcher um i think we're up there i think it might be like one or two um 
uh, shows behind for some reason. I don't know why they're doing that, Stitcher. Come on, help, help us out here. But bottom line is it's up there. All of our previous shows are up there on Stitcher. So finally at long last, right? That's right. Gosh. Come on, Stitcher. Help me out here. All right. So let's dive in on what uh, we thought was the big deal for uh, for UC- for basically the start of uh, UCF here. So we had God, that was a terrible intro. But let's let's go ahead and let's go ahead and roll through this. All right. So basically, here we go. Wednesday we had uh, football media day, right? And for us, right, Eric, this is basically the start of the uh, of the of the year of the of the UCF athletic year. You know, when you get to, you know, even though practice is already underway for football. You know, this is how, you know, when media day comes around, you know know that like football is like on its way. So um, Coach Frost was there. Pretty good turnout there. They, uh, uh, you know, I thought that the press conference moved really quickly, uh, really smoothly. And uh, thanks again to um, Andy Seeley and the entire staff at UCF Athletics, who I I thought actually this is probably my favorite media day of all time at UCF, considering how smoothly everything went. Then we went into the up into the cabana, the Carl Black and Gold cabana and uh, talked with a number of players um and, and uh, on both sides of the ball um and it was really a good time i thought it was uh you know, what, what were your impressions coming off of media day i, I thought it was really well run I, it, everything seems to be running a lot more smoothly uh at least on the football side um not from a media perspective but from the football side it seems like everything's like moving moving really tight yeah, well, I think it's a year older. You know, everybody's been, you know, Scott Frost is in his second year. The staff's in its second year. Uh, the players are in the second year as far as with the Coach Frost and the staff and learning the system. So I feel like there's a little bit of a more of a comfort level. In fact, you asked Coach Frost in the press conference about that. Like, what did he learn and improve from this first season on to the second season? I have really good people around me um, from the coaching staff to the support staff. Um, I, I think we're better organized now. I think across the board, we all understand our roles a little better and we're doing a little better job at it. Uh, Jared Lambrick, my DFO, has been uh, invaluable to me to make sure that we're on point, um, getting through everything we need to get through in our schedule. Uh, it helps our players to feel, feel comfortable and know their role uh, when everybody around them is taking care of the things that they don't need to have to take care of. Uh, so they can focus on what's important. Yeah, I think one of the things that we learned from that is, you know, I, I mean, interpret it as you can. I mean, I think that Scott, um, you know, says that, you know, now that I've ha- I have my staff around me for a full year, I, you know, I, I really know what their strengths and weaknesses are and how, and how to run that system. But, yeah, I, I do think that um, he, he does understand that you know, the, the interaction between him and his staff and how to manage how his staff works. Um, is it, 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 you don't have like that learning how to ride a bike feel that you did in the first year when all of a sudden, hey, here we go, first game, and we're still trying to figure everything out. Um, you know, he knows how to roll, how to run with it now. He knows what he has to get, you know, what he doesn't have to waste all that time, you know, trying to figure out how the system works. He just knows, and now he can work, work within it, just like the players do, right? Like they all told us, um, you know, hey, like we don't have to learn the language now. We know the language now. We can work on applying it, right? No question. And I think as a result, the players are a lot more confident in themselves as as well because of that. They know what they're doing now. Whereas, you know, maybe a year ago they were still kind of learning the you know kind of bits and pieces, and they weren't a hundred percent like, well, do I wait? Is this how it's done? So, I think as a result, I think there's a lot more confidence. Uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, talking to the defensive players, I I, I got a sense, and it's interesting because a lot of people obviously, one you know, the, the the loss of personnel on the defensive side of the ball. There's questions there, but yet, you know, as it's been brought up, the young guys that were playing behind last year, well, the, you know, they know the system now pretty well, so they could step right in, and I think they feel pretty confident about that and their abilities. Certainly, cornerbacks one of the question marks there, but. You know, you got Shaq Griffin back, who obviously was the main focus, one of the focus uh, on media day. And in fact, Eric Adelson of Yahoo was there and he did a feature story on him, which is now on on Yahoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so led by him, I think Coach Frost alluded to liking the pass rush that they've had in the defensive line. Uh, so I think they feel pretty good about the defensive side of the ball. And I think 
they're really, I think they feel confident. They're still the strength of this football team. And I think they feel that they're going to still be very good. I think the offense is kind of still the question mark of 2017. And even Scott Frost alluded to the fact needing some more leadership, vocal leaders. I, I think that's going to be the interesting thing is on the offensive side, you know, will that second year, I, I don't know, will they be as smooth or there's still going to be some hiccups? Yeah, it's true. But, you know, when we talked to uh, the guys that were there, um, the real highlights, though, uh, like over on one table, we had um, Trey Neal from the defensive side of the ball. He's a safety. And Cam Stewart, one of the uh, one of the wide receivers. And they were, I-, I thought, pretty refreshing in sort of their take, not just on their side of the ball, but the other side of the ball. Because remember, these guys are still hitting each other. And, uh, you-, you know, I was a little worried about, you know, as I'm sure a lot of other people considering, you know, UCF is basically replacing its entire secondary. But, you know, Trey came in and said, uh, and said, you know, these guys are, are, are actually um, working pretty good so far. And you know, I'm not all that worried about, um, about how things are going. Here's Trey Neal talking about uh, the guys who he's playing alongside in the secondary. It's different, you know, just being the lady. I went from being one of the young guys last year to being the oldest, me and Kyle being the oldest one in the group. I mean, I think it's one of those challenges I'm, I'm embracing and I'm loving these guys coming up to me asking for help, you know, I'm just willing to offer any kind of help and advice like just that I've learned over the past three years I've been here. Boy, can you just sense that confidence too on Trey? That's not just player talk. I think that's sincere, uh, and I think there's a belief there. And I think the guys have t- confidence in each other. And uh, I think Trey's going to have a heck of a year uh, for UCF. And, you know, I think defensively they got some playmakers and – uh, I, I think there's a sense of a, a I don't I don't know if it's a swagger is the proper word but definitely confidence and I think that's good and I, I to be honest I came away feeling a lot better about the defense than maybe I did say a few weeks ago to be honest with you yeah and, and Cam Stewart too I think um, the one thing I was worried about with the other side of the ball on offense is um, you know, they're, they're, you know, even though a lot of these young guys are in their second year, Mackenzie Milton obviously included up at the top, and he's, you know, more, and Scott Frost basically said, look, he's the starter right now in the depth chart, and although he said he wasn't going to release a full depth chart until the Monday of the first game, um, but he said, look, Mackenzie's our guy right now. Even though, it, you know, the, and there was some news on that front, by the way, Pete DeNovo's basically left UCF, so he's he's gone. Um, you remember him from when he started the game up in Ireland. Justin Holman came in at halftime and led UCF back. That was more or less a message to Holman than than an acknowledgement of DeNovo's ability. But uh, he kind of bounced around the offense. It didn't work out. He de- he was one the one guy from the O'Leary era that was still around, and he decided to uh, to leave. And then he got the two freshmen behind Mackenzie Milton and uh, Noah Vedrill and um, and Daryl Mack. Uh, who have been impressive reportedly coming out of uh, practice. But, you know, McKenzie's still the guy, number one. We talk, I talked to him a little bit, um, and you'll hear some of that with some of our preview stuff that we're doing uh, for the, um, uh, in, the, in the upcoming week. But talking to Cam Stewart, I thought that, you know, he, he, he kind of mentioned that, yeah, I, I, it, it is a little bit different this year considering we're not learning that language once again. You know, we... We have our we have our grasp on the system, and that's going to help things move at the velocity that we want it to, uh, especially when we actually get out there on the field. We're hitting. A, um, we have a lot of days where we have a lot of tempo periods, so we start off the day with tempo, and so we're playing as fast as we can, sending signals as fast as we can, and um, we actually have the with the scrimmage. We have we're going to have a tempo period like clutch period, so it'll be two minutes, and so we're really like working on. Um, like detailing everything that we're supposed to do and uh, knowing our assignments, offensive line making the right calls, QBs making the right calls, and just doing what we're supposed to be doing to look like that offense Coach Frost wants us to look like. Well, Cam's right about that, and I thought, and I think that one of the the big advantages for UCF right now is is the sheer number of weapons that McKenzie does have at his disposal. I was concerned about the offensive line. But, um, you know, again, talking to a couple of the offensive linemen, I thought that they thought you know, they certainly have a better grasp on things. And I thought that was going to be the biggest adjustment just based on not just on, you know, learning the offense, but sort of getting their bodies right for the for the kind of sprinting that they're going to have to do on offense to make this offense work. But uh, I'm feeling a little bit more positive on offense. I'm still I'm, I'm still waiting to see what happens in that first game 
uh, against FIU. I really want to see if they're able to get that good tempo going. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, all this is just talk, and you know, until right. you get on the field, of course, every, yeah, everyone's going to look at us and smile, and be like, yeah, everything's great. Look, I still think, I still think, I still think the offensive guard. Uh, line is still a question mark. I think the guard position, Scott Frost pointed it out as a concern. The, the, he feels that somebody should have taken that position by now, and it hasn't. Uh, and as you know, look, at the end of the day, the offensive line, he, they've got to produce. they got to run the football. I don't think they're going to be an air-out an air 30-40 pass team. I just don't. I think they have to run the football. They have talented running backs. Run the football to set up play-action pass. That's what I've always felt was this offense's identity at Oregon. Really, a lot of people, I think, have this idea that it's this high-flying offense. It's really an offense uh, that's dependent on that running game yes, that opens thank you. up the play-action play passing game. It thank you for saying that. I keep Because I, I always tell that, too. You got, you know, go back and look at films of you know that Marcus Mariota-led Oregon offense that got within one game of a national title. It is a rushing offense. Yep. It is a rushing offense that does sit now. A lot of the plays they run are kind of, you know, screens and, you know, and things that that more or less act as running plays. And so that's why sometimes the quarterback's passing numbers are inflated. But the whole idea is it is a quick strike running offense that spreads the defense out laterally. And if you're not running the ball, as Oregon was having a very tough time doing, remember in that national championship game against Ohio State that they lost? If you're having a tough time running the ball, you're going to have a, you're going to have a tough time overall. Um, it is reliant on the run, getting chunks in the run, and and moving and moving the ball. Actually, what I think is most important, and I think we've mentioned this before, is it's not so much also what happens during the play. Obviously, that is important, but what happens in between plays. How quickly do you beat the defense downfield where they're getting kind of gassed, they can't set up, they have to play base, and they have to run some sort of vanilla scheme, and then you can pick them apart. We saw flashes of that at times last year when things were going well, when they were really moving the ball on tempo, but then something would, something would get messed up, and, 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 the, and the offense would stall, and then the defense could catch up. And if they catch up to you, then you're kind of in trouble, so... The whole thing is maintaining that flow. And when that flow is running, man, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Go back and look at those Oregon films. I'm hoping that we'll see a little bit more of that this year. Well, and we'll see. But it's got to start with the offensive line. Yep. And, and go from there. And I think McKenzie, his role has got to be simple. He's got to hit those percentage plays. I think we kind of over-inflate McKenzie's play. Where it got him in trouble is at times where there was plays there that he overthrows a receiver underthrows a receiver, uh, didn't protect the football. Those are the type of things that I think has to be cleaned up for him. He also got uh, the living tar kicked out of him a lot. <laughs> well, and again, it goes back to the offensive line. I mean, uh, and some of it was him holding the ball a yeah. little bit too long. Not getting know? the ball out enough time, and then, and, then he's, right. and then he's trying to make something happen when there's nothing there. And the, the, Yeah, you're right. The timing did get thrown off. And, and that's sometimes that's on him being a freshman. Sometimes that's on the offensive line not knowing what to do. All of, I think that both of those things have to do with first-year stuff, right? Yeah, I think that's the belief. And um, look, I think at the same time, though, I mean, I do think that Scott Frost is, you know, will keep an eye on him. And if, if Milton struggles, I don't. I got a sense that he likes the two freshman quarterbacks behind him, and I, he liked how Mac has been coming on. So I, I don't know if Scott Frost will be uh, shy to pull the trigger. If he has to, I'm not saying that he will. I'm just saying he. I don't think he'll be shy on that. But, again, it starts with the offensive line. Um, if they don't run the football, then their offense is not going to be on the field that much. They're going to put their defense on the field a lot. It's just that's the equation that really is disastrous. And, you know, in, in some cases, why they didn't finish games last season and lost some of those close games that I think is still bothering Coach Frost. He mentioned that multiple times in the pre, in the uh, media day. Yeah, and, and – uh, the, we, and, well, of course, we're going to be focusing on the offense. I, I, by the way, a little uh, late-breaking news today. Mentioned the, the defensive backs there. The corner was a little bit of concern, a little bit more than safeties, at least that's what Frost said. Uh, but UCF, Juan Toribio from uh, uh, t- uh, 247 Sports um, got the scoop here uh, as UCF adds um, uh, Juco All-American corner Mike Hughes, who, who formerly played at the University of North Carolina uh, had a very good season uh, as a 
freshman uh, back in 2015. He's a 5'11 corner. Uh, he initially committed to South Carolina, but uh, did not graduate from Garden City Community College in time. Spot opened up for him at UCF, so he's going to be coming over to help out the uh, to help out the uh, secondary in the corner at the corner position. So, and he's eligible to play right now. So um, that's a that's a, that may end up helping UCF uh, quite a bit. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. I mean, it's a lot to ask. He's just the last second there. Where, where was he going to go? South Carolina or North Carolina? South Carolina. He was at North Carolina initially. Uh, uh-huh. Got into trouble at North Carolina. Basically, was kicked off the team, um, and then uh, went to Garden City Community College. Was going to go to South Carolina. Uh, didn't get it. You know, it didn't work out there because of when he was able to graduate from Garden City CC, and so now he's back. Uh, it's but now he's at UCF. So, so all right. Let's take a quick breather. And when we come back, we got a couple things coming up. We're gonna t- we're gonna tease some preseason interviews here that we've got. Um, so, and we're gonna look at some storylines for the fall. And then Eric Lopez is gonna rip the Jacksonville Jaguars, and that's gonna be fun. Stick around. Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. A reminder, this Sunday, Eric Lopez, uh, we, maybe me only, but perhaps we, will be uh, joining the boys from Nightline for um, the uh, their season kickoff show on Sunday from uh, Burger U uh, on campus for their live show. So make sure you... Uh, Subscribe to our buddies over there, uh, Trace Trilco and uh, Andrew Fegley in the Nightline podcast, and listen to that show. That should be fun. It's always fun when we, when the two of us, well, really the four of us, get together uh, for to well, really to talk about anything, but especially to talk about um, UCF football. So that should be uh, that should be a lot of fun. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to us now on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Uh, and hit us up on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret and on Facebook at Black and Gold Banneret uh, as well. All right, so obviously it's not just football, right? We got some storyline. We got some storylines coming in for our fall sports. We're just going to hit up on uh, on a couple of them coming in. Uh, uh, women's soccer, first and foremost, they're playing uh, tonight. We're recording this on Friday. Um, uh, they're playing again. They're opening their season already. Unbelievable, August eighteenth against. Number four, South Carolina. Um, Tiffany Roberts, the Haydax team, uh, comes in with another murderer's row schedule here, Eric, um, and a big game right off the bat up in uh, up in Columbia. Number four ranked South Carolina, so we'll see. That'll be interesting how they fare there. And then they have the home opener against Stetson, and then a week from uh, you know the Friday the twenty fifth, North Carolina, top the the perennial power yeah. of women's soccer, the franchise, the program. Uh, will be coming to Orlando, which is a feat. We'll, I'll be there. I think you're going to be there, right? That's gonna I'm be, hoping uh, to be there. That should be a big one against UNC. I mean, they're the Yankees yeah. of women's of women's college yeah. soccer. Let us not forget, though, sun, this coming Sunday against Stetson. That's the home. That's, right, op- home. that's the home opener against the Hatters. So, man, what a start at number four, South Carolina. That's on SEC Network. Home for Stetson at the uh, soccer and track complex. That's Sunday afternoon, one p.m. And then next Friday, 7 p.m. at home against North Carolina. Uh, that will also be at the so- Soccer and Track Complex. In addition to that, September 1st, they, now they go out to Arizona the following weekend. September 1st, Friday against Arizona. September 3rd, Sunday against Arizona State. They got LSU, um, FIU, and then Florida Gulf Coast before they dive into the conference schedule 
later on in September. Boy, oh boy, what a murderous row of a schedule this is. Um, but, but, but that's how she likes it. I mean, the part of it is to test her team, see what their strengths are, and, and get them ready for conference play. You know, I'm, I'm very interested in talking to people over there. Um, you know, I think they got some firepower offensively. You look at the exhibition, uh, they scored, I think, eight goals in their two exhibition matches, yep. granted, it's exhibition. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I remember we even talked about it during the year last year. How many times, Jeff, did we do uh, shows where he talked about his women's soccer team? Well, they, they took the lead but lost it late because they coughed up the goal or two late in the game and it cost them this. And I think that's going to be the question is, are they going to be strong enough in the backside defensively, uh, you know, because I think they got some firepower offensively. Uh, I think they could score some goals. It'll be interesting how they match up against the South Carolinas and North Carolinas, but uh, I think this team is confident they can get goals and put the ball in the back of the net. It's just improving, I think, defensively because they, they if they would have played a little better defensively last year, they you know that could have turned around two, yeah. three results. That could have been the difference. But, uh, they could have made the tournament. So. That's going to be very interesting. They feel very good about their goalkeeping, very deep there. Uh, and I think they feel pretty good about the midfield. And the, you know, It's just a matter of, as a cohesive unit defensively, can they get back to that level where they were uh, even in Coach Zahedak's first year when they won the conference tie, where they were very strong defensively? Well, they scored five goals. I saw them in person in that game against uh, yeah. UNF at home. Uh, Kayla Adamek got into the act. Uh, I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty impressive. They just looked off. I, and again... I know it's an exhibition, okay? I get it, against uh, an A-Sun team nonetheless. But it's nice to see the team looking crisp offensively. You know, it, they, and they beat UNF 5 to nothing at home, which is exactly what they should have done in an exhibition, right? So, um, so that's what you want to see. If they had lost the game or if they had won, like, 1 to nothing, like, I'd be a little bit worried, right? Or if they won, like, you know, 3 to 2 or something like that. I would have been a little bit worried, but... Uh, I was really impressed with what I saw. On the other side, men's soccer. They they have an exhibition game actually coming up Saturday, 7 p.m. against Georgia Southern. It's their second of two exhibitions. They scored nine goals in their first exhibition (laughs) against the University of Tampa this past uh, Tuesday. They won 9-1. to Um, That was pretty impressive, not going to lie. I get it. It's the University of Tampa. I get it. I get it. I get it. Still, 9-1. to Um, they have, uh, uh, they start the season actually out on the road in Durham, uh, at Duke and then against Elon, uh, before their home opener, September 1st, home against Charlotte. They got a lot of road matches, uh, uh, in this, uh, sort of non-conference bit at Jacksonville, at West Virginia. Then they're home for FIU, um, and then at Florida Gulf Coast before they start the, um, not the, uh, in-conference schedule at USF, at SMU. Gosh, they're on the road a lot. But first year with a first year under um, Scott Calabrese, new head coach, who comes over from from FIU, where in his three years at the helm of the Panthers, um, they beat UCF each time that they played, um, and uh, is also I found out uh, a uh, longtime friend of Tiffany Roberts and Tim uh, Sahedak. Uh, going back to actually the uh, the days uh, uh, up in the triangle, and uh, of course with the Carolina Courage, uh, uh, Scott was an assistant there when when Tiffany was a player there, and uh, we'll hear more from Scott uh, later on this week because we were able to get him for our uh, first preseason uh, coaches interview. But um, you know, much different approach for UCF men's soccer um, this time around under uh, under Coach Calabrese. So I'm interested to see. You know how this team, you know how this team does adjust to the uh, to their new coaching staff and how things actually work. I think this should be um, pretty interesting. What are you looking forward to from them, Eric? Well, what helps if you're Coach Calories is you've you've got on your roster the preseason American Conference Offensive Player of the Year pick, uh, which just came out recently, and a guy that we both know very well, Mister uh, Matias uh, Puzolo. Yes, right. Uh, you know that's the thing. He's the dynamic player. And, you know, remember last year, I thought last year, you know, they got off to such a weird start. You know, they, they had some postponements on the road. Yeah, they, they played – never really – Yeah, they played 14 – what was it? They played 16 matches, and uh, Calabrese told me 12 of them were decided by a goal. Yeah. So they're not that far off, and, and I, 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 I could – you know, look, if 
if you buy into the trend and, 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 you know, look at all the first year UCF coaches and how well they've done, you got to, I, I, I would not be shocked. And obviously I'll throw more of my two cents into this after we air the coach Calabrese interviewed uh, later in the, in the upcoming week. But I, I, I think they could surprise some people. Yeah. I can think they could surprise some people too. And I think the thing is, you know, in the American, the schedule is so short because you only have so many teams that, you know, two, three games in, you surprised like one or two opponents, you're sitting in the driver's seat all of a sudden. So I think that actually yeah. works out in their favor. I'm interested to see how that works out. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more offensive production from them this year. Um, not just Puzlo, but who else is going to be that? that who, who's going to be uh, the number two guy? Who's going to be the guy backing him up? Right. And, uh, it's a little, and, different, it, a little yeah. different than the women's side, right? Whereas I feel like the women's has the more of the balance. You know, yep. you know, they they got multiple people that can, you know, they they're, they're going to could score. It could come from anywhere. The men's side, right, is who can be, you know, they're you know they're going to focus on your main guy. So who steps up as that second and third option? Yeah, I think that's going to be fun to watch. So uh, I, I really want to catch, keep an eye on them and see how how that all works out uh, as well. All right, moving over to uh, my bread and butter here, brother, volleyball. Um. Todd Dagenet's back once again. He is within arm's length this year of becoming UCF's winningest head coach in volleyball history, um, which is awesome. Uh, and uh, they got the black and gold scrimmage uh, this Saturday, 3 p.m. I'll be on the PA mic for that. Uh, and then I'll tell you what, speaking of schedules, boy, listen to this. First weekend of the season's out in Colorado at a tournament hosted by Northern Colorado and Colorado State. They're playing those two teams and Duke. Second weekend of the season, Sunshine State Challenge in Fort Myers. They're playing FAU, Florida Gulf Coast, and Miami. Third weekend of the season, they're, at, they're in Conway, Arkansas to play Southern Arkansas State and Central Arkansas. They don't open their home schedule until September 15th which is a home match of Virginia. It's the Volley Knights Invitational. They're playing Virginia on Friday and Ole Miss on Sunday. And then right after that, the following weekend, September 22nd, Friday, that's when they start the conference schedule with East Carolina and uh, Cincinnati. So holy Moses, what a, uh, what a schedule that they have set up for this. is going to be this is a murderer's row of a schedule. And, uh, and, and even the, the, non, the in-conference schedule is interesting because – they actually finished the season uh, around Thanksgiving. They got Wednesday, November 22nd, home for USF. And then they go on the road to play USF in Tampa three days later. So they actually finished the season with two consecutive matches against uh, USF. Bear in mind, they're also welcoming Wichita State into the mix. Um, Wichita, by the way, pretty good in volleyball this year. They're at Wichita on October 1st. Home for Wichita on October 27th, in case you wanted to skirt, circle, this, circle, the, uh, circle those dates on the schedule there. Um, boy, I can't wait to talk to Todd about the schedule, man, because it is brutal, bro. Well, it's tough by a purpose. you got to try to get back to the NCAA tournament. you got to get a good RPI and get yeah. some quality wins. Uh, quality road wins, too, you know, when you got teams like no Duke question about and it. Miami on right. there. Yeah. Uh, that's, your, that's where you got to make some hay there. Uh, you know, you're looking last year, the American Conference got – you know, multiple teams into the NCAA tournament for the first time in conference history. Uh, there's no reason why they can't do it again. Wichita State has been a perennial team, top 30 uh, program in volleyball. I think Cincinnati, you know, everybody's picking Wichita State. I'm not going to – I'm still going with my Cincinnati. I still think they got the best player in the conference in Jordan Thompson. I think they're, they got that nucleus. I still think they're the team that I think they're the team to beat this year, but certainly Wichita State's right there. We haven't even discussed SMU, who, uh, as you've seen, obviously they won the league. Uh, Temple's very good, so this is a very thick, deep league, um, and so there, yeah, you know, you want to win some non-conference games because you're going to beat each other up in conference. I think that's what's going to happen here. You're going to beat yourself up in conference. I like the fact – how about the UCF-USF home-and-home on the same week as the football game? Kind of stole yeah. a little bit of my idea. Remember that idea you didn't like so much where I say you put all the Olympic sports on the same weekend as the football game? Well, volleyball is kind of doing that, and um, so I kind of like that. That's a heck of a week. Uh, there's a very good possibility I'll be at that USF home game, as a matter of fact, that Wednesday night, so uh, working it. So it, it's uh, it's a fun schedule, obviously – 
Jayla Hervey graduating, who mm-hmm. replaces that mm-hmm. production, uh, will be probably at the top of your list of questions you're going to ask Todd. And uh, but I, I have gotten the sense and seen him on social media, and I feel very he feels pretty confident about what he has, and I think he, uh, you know, he's, he feels I think it feels like he feels he's got good depth there from that standpoint. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he looking at Todd's uh, schedule or t- at his Twitter feed, some of the things he's been mentioning. He said, looking at our league and hoping the selections are completely unbiased, I see a potential of four bids coming from the American if the stars line up. He's really happy with the depth and versatility of his players. Kia Bright, uh, you know, two years off that knee injury, uh, she's basically the, the top returning attacker. Uh, and, you know, they always say it takes, takes like an extra year after you have an injury like that to sort of come back. Uh, and be full strength. I think she's 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 ready to have a just a monster monster year. She's preseason um, all AAC. Um, uh, Todd mentioned also on Twitter. He said that he would not be surprised to see a bunch of teams from nine and eleven to twelve and eight in the league. Maybe half the conference. No one runs this table. I thought that was a pretty interesting point. Um, the coaches pick the coaches in general pick UCF fifth. He said AAC poll UCF number five. I wouldn't have put us there. But I don't get to vote for us. Yes, we lose Jayla, but I like our newcomers. He's like five question mark. We'll see. I like that. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that this is going to be um, possibly the most unique season uh, for UCF volleyball that I, that we've seen. Certainly, and certainly the most intriguing since they won the conference a couple years ago. So. Um, so this should be, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how they do on that big road swing. Um, and, and a lot of younger players that are going to be asked to do a lot more. I think we saw a lot of, a lot of youth on the roster last year that was asked to do quite a bit. So now you got all that experience that's coming back, a uh, little bit more versatility here and there. I think you're right. You know, how do you make up for Jayla Hervey? I think that you're going to get more production from Kia, but then what do you also get in the middle? So um, that's going to be fun. Don't forget, Black and Gold Scrimmage, 3 p.m. Saturday, same day as that, uh, uh, that UCF uh, Fan Fest uh, for football, and that's free admission. So um, you can get a little preview of the team uh, there. So, all right, so we got you caught up on all the Olympic sports there. Let's talk about some pro football, shall we? Uh, all right, Lopez, so we may be seeing the end of the Blake Bortles era in Jacksonville. Uh, he did not perform well in the uh, preseason game against uh, Tampa Bay the other night. Um, Doug Marone, the head coach of the Jaguars, is basically like, I'm throwing the, I'm throwing the competition open now. I don't know who my starting quarterback is. Uh, and this apparently rubs you the wrong way, Lopez. Why? Well, let me just first say that Blake definitely has not played well. Uh, he just turns the ball struggles. over way too much. Well, I, you know, yes, he turns the ball over a little bit. He overthrew, underthrew a receiver and all that stuff, and that's been questioned, yes. I, I, I get all that. First of all, this team stinks across, <laughs> around. No, they're terrible. That's true. Um, they are, they're like tanking it, like an NBA team right now. Well, they might as well. Because um, here's the thing. I watched the Bucks game. And, and, you know, look, I'm, you know, Blake said his issues. There's no question. But this, I think now what's going on here, here's what I think is going on. Doug Marone and specifically your boy, Tommy Coughlin, I think are making Blake to be the scapegoat. This is a terrible roster. They have no offensive line. I don't know if their receivers are very good. Everybody thinks Allen Robinson's very good. I don't know. He's had one good year. We'll see. Defensively, everybody says they're all this talent in the defensive side, and yet every time I see him, they don't make plays. Um, Blake's not the only problem they have there, and yet for Doug Marone, who is a, is hilarious, it's embarrassing that he's even a head football coach right Ooh, now. I mean, man, why, that's why, harsh, boy. Holy shit. Why is, he a, why is he a head coach? What the hell has he done? Like, this is a guy that literally Are you talking about it as a coach in general or as a in coach the NFL, at the pro the NFL, level? Right. NFL. Because I was going to say, listen, as a, as a guy who went to Syracuse, let's say he did get Syracuse um, back on the upswing after they'd been really bad for a long time. So he deserves some yeah, credit for fine. that. Yeah, that's fine. But this is the NFL. And the last I remember, when he was in Buffalo, he quit on him on a, a mediocre job there. Uh, here's the thing. He goes out there after a Bucks second preseason game where nobody played well. And he calls out the quarterback position, basically calling out Blake uh, and opening the job. 
which I think is for anybody that's seen Chad Henney play in the NFL, that is not an answer. So you're basically, basically, <laughs> especially uh, Dolphin right? fans out there, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So the thing I don't get is if you didn't want Blake Bortles to be your quarterback, then they should have signed a quarterback that was more competent than Chad Henney or drafted a quarterback. Do yourself that favor. They didn't do that. They, but all preseason long from, hey, from the comments like, well, if I was up to me, I would run the football 100 times. I wouldn't throw one pass. You know, that's a great way to give confidence to a quarterback that's looking for some confidence there, Doug. You stiff. Well, the only reason why you he's got this head coaching job is because he's tight with Tom Coughlin. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, and I think, to me, the media in Jacksonville has acted like a bunch of 12-year-olds. They've acted childish. They have overanalyzed everything because in Jacksonville, that's the only thing they have to talk about because that's a one-trick pony town. And there's a bit of insecurity in that town because, let's be honest, I think the majority of the country would probably tell you that the NFL mess made a mistake putting a team in Jacksonville to begin with. And so I think Jacksonville media tries to counter that by think acting like they're the almighty in football press. And so they nitpick on everything from what people, players like Blake have done off the field and on the field. When in reality, if you take a big picture, this team is not very good. They're not very good. And you can put whoever you want at quarterback there. And that's not going to change anytime soon. John Gurdon made this gave this information at the game. You realize, you know how many players the Jaguars still have on their roster from their 2013 NFL draft? Uh, probably one. Zero. Uh, well, yeah. Wow. Is that Blake's fault? Is that Blake's problem? Is it's that Blake's point. fault? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, this this team is terrible across the board. And now, and this is your guy. You're a Giants fan. Tom Coughlin won two Super Bowls. You know, give him his due. Beat Bill Belichick in the Super Bowls. No question about it. This feels like, yeah. This feels never, like when, when when Parcells was with the Dolphins. Remember that, right? Like, same kind of deal. Absolutely, absolutely. When and then you know this. I'll let you answer this question. When has Tom Coughlin ever picked personnel before? He hasn't picked. He didn't pick personnel in the Giants. It was that uh, what's his name, Floyd Reese. Uh, it, it was Floyd Reese, but prior to that, it was Ernie Accorsi. Ernie Accorsi was right. the guy who built basically built that first team that beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Right. So now Tom is in charge of this, a job he's never really done before. And we don't know if he's still up to date with the game of the NFL. All I keep hearing about Jacksonville is about how they want to run the football. I mean, the NFL is a wide open league. I don't know if they've looked at football the last couple of years, in particular down in New England. They tend to throw the football a few times. So, um, look, I think it is over for Blake there. There's just so much negativity there. I was watching that game. You could just sense – in the in in that watching the game on TV, the the negativity in the air in that city and in that stadium every time he's throwing the ball and everybody's holding their breath, and I think that does take its toll. And I think Blake needs a new start. I think he needs to get out of there. I've got the perfect spot for him. I think I, if I were him, I I look, I'd go to Arizona and and have okay. Bruce Arians coach me up. Go have if you look at the Cardinals depth chart, Carson Palmer is way up there in age. They don't really have anybody of the future there behind Carson Palmer. Go to Arizona, have Bruce Arians there, uh, who's a coach, you know, the quarterback whisperer, if you will. And I think see if you can make it there and, and just get a fresh start, because I just think to me in Jacksonville, he's been set up to fail here. And I don't think this regime particularly cares for him. I don't think that that's not a guy they drafted. Uh, Caldwell's the one who drafted him. And I think he's out the door of the GM. Uh, kind of like Rob Hennigan was with the Magic. So, um, look, has Blake done this? Some of this to himself? Sure, he hasn't played well. I, I mean, I'll be the but, but I think this has gone way overboard. And I think to make a, a spectacle out of this, like Doug Marone did on 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 after the preseason game against the Bucks, was absolutely asinine for a coach that to me has no rep, uh, to me no credibility in my opinion. And I would like to know if he wants to call out people for their jobs after preseason games. Maybe people ought to question his job. Wow. All right. Well, tell us how you really feel. I've actually got a different destination that I was thinking about for right. Blake Bortles. Completely, uh, completely unrealistic. It's never going to happen. But I just thought, eh, wouldn't it be fun if you could do this? NFL's, you, 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 we could, the NFL is still in the trade window, right? Yeah. What if we did this? What if you did this if you're Jacksonville? You call up the New England Patriots, 
and you offer them Blake Bortles and a number one selection for Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't see. I, I think Belichick likes Garoppolo, and I think that's the heir apparent. That's why he hasn't traded him. I think Garoppolo is the heir apparent to Tom Brady. So, I mean, he's had chances to trade Garoppolo, if you believe the reports, for first-round picks. I mean, Cleveland's wanted him. So I, I think Belichick generally likes Garoppolo. That's true. Um, but remember the thing about Belichick. He's one of those guys who buys low and sells high. But, now, right, but it, here's the other problem. Here's the problem. Blake's not really tradable right now because if he's on your roster, the way it's constructed right now, going into next year, you have to pay him $18 million. You're better off waiting until Jacksonville releases him and you can get Blake on the cheap. Yeah, you're right about that. Good point. I, I, I just feel like, you know, he does fit that sort of that 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 Belichickian quarterback archetype. Obviously, yeah. Tom Brady, but also going back to guys like you know when Belichick was coaching Vinny Testaverde and in Cleveland, and or well, he wasn't coaching Vinny Testaverde in Cleveland. Well, he, actually, he was because he was the head coach there. But also, you know, he likes those sort of he, he likes those kind of big big pocket passers. Um, you know, Belichick obviously. I actually read you know a couple of days that he actually. Um, Belichick actually thought about uh, bringing in Phil Simms when he was in Cleveland, uh, stealing him away from the Giants after Simms had a good year in 93. Um, good start, a good, a, good, a good place to restart if you're Blake, you know, with a real winning system, obviously, in New England. They could possibly get him on the cheap. Garoppolo, I think, is actually going to get, because of what you mentioned, the fact that Belichick likes him so much, and because of what happened last year when Brady was... Uh, when Brady was suspended, you know, Garoppolo is going to get more expensive for the Patriots the longer they right. hang on to him. Whereas Blake can be gotten on the cheap. You run him underneath Brady, sort of really sort of relearn how to play the quarterback position with an offensive system that I think fits him a little bit better and, and give him the shot to do that. Give him the shot to do that. I think it, I, I, I know that there are going to be a lot of Patriot fans who are going to be like, you are out of your mind. Stop talking. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm just look. I'm just putting it out there. I think the Arizona idea was actually quite brilliant, putting him out there under Bruce Arians. I think that it could possibly work. As you know, he sits behind Tom Brady for like one or two more years while Brady plays out the string, and then who knows? Well, maybe see, that's maybe, a hand, that's maybe hand I, Blake I, the keys after that, right? I just don't think so. I first of all, I don't even know if Tom Brady's going to be a quarterback with the Patriots next year. Um, really? They got to make. Yeah, I do. I mean, he's turning forty historically quarterbacks that turn 40 it doesn't that's when it really comes to an end um and i think that's why the patriots have kept garoppolo uh they got to make a decision on him next season they got to franchise him if they want to keep him basically um so i think in a lot of ways if you know they see any slippage out of brady this year i could see that switch happening where garoppolo is the starter next year i think there's a i I was surprised if they they didn't trade him this offseason and they had chances to get first round picks and they didn't do that and I think a part of that is they want to have him as the insurance policy in case also in case Brady goes down with an injury also. So I don't see that as a as a, a spot. I think Arizona makes sense. Remember, uh, Car- uh, Blake's personal coach is Jordan Palmer, who's a brother of related to Carson Palmer. Ah, been I didn't realize that. They like, and then there have been reports that Bruce Arians like Blake coming out of college. Uh, so I, I just think it makes a lot of sense. If you look at the Cardinals depth chart, like Drew Stanton, the backup, they got Trevor Knight on that roster, I believe. Yeah, uh, former Blaine Oklahoma Gabbard's guy. On their, right. Blaine Gabbard's on that roster. There's nobody there that like shakes your, and, and in fact, there were a lot of people that thought that Arians was going to take Watson in the first round, but the Texans moved up because of that and got Deshaun Watson. So I think Arizona will look for a quarterback and I think Blake Bortles, could be the kind of a, a guy could get an opportunity there. Um, if, and I'll give you another one, if Jay Cutler does not work out in Miami and the Dolphins feel that Ryan Tannehill's too injury prone, I could see Adam Gaze uh, possibly trying to get Blake Bortles and try to see if he could salvage him a little bit down in Miami. So that would be probably a second choice uh, if, if, if it's not Arizona. But uh, I think he, he's going to end up somewhere in an NFL roster but I do think it's coming to an end. I don't see Jacksonville wanting to pay uh, $18 million that they might owe him next season, which is why I do wonder if a part of me wonders if this has been a conspiracy here that you, by starting Chad Henney, you don't put Blake Bortles on the field, which means he doesn't get hurt, which means you don't have to pay him if he's hurt. Because if he's hurt, 
and he, he can't pass a physical, you have to pay him money. Mm-hmm. Whereas if he's healthy, you could just drop him and you don't owe him that money. So I'm wondering if that's part of the equation. The other thing is you joked about it, but I do wonder if part of this too is, you know what? Let's go with Chad Haney. Let's go with whoever. If we stink, let's bottom out like the Jets and Buffalo are trying to do because this upcoming quarterback class with Sam Darnold of USC and, right. and Rosen at UCLA is really, really good. So let's get a top five pick and we can get our quarterback that way because there's no there's no free agent quarterback that's really, really, really good in their right mind that would ever go to Jacksonville, Florida. I'll tell you that. That's <laughs> true. Um, yeah. I, it, with all I, due respect, I like going to Jacksonville as a city, but you know. I, I, I want – I would just like to see Blake have some success at the NFL. You know, maybe maybe he ends up being like one of you know one of the McCown guys where he kind of bounces around now. But, but I, I don't know. I, I just you know for a guy who did so much for UCF, I'm always like, look, you know, did it work out in Jacksonville? No, it's kind of a toxic situation now. I, I just I just hope that you know if he moves on from Jacksonville, that wherever he does land, he has a much better opportunity to be successful because. I, I think there you're you are right about one thing that he was he's kind of being set up to fail and I and I hate seeing that because I don't think it's fair. I hate I hate and it this, when you, right. when you see that in, with a team. And part of this, I think this goes back to last season at this time of year, where a lot of people were jumping on the Jaguars bandwagon. They thought this was a sneaky team that could make the playoffs, maybe win the division. Yep. And Allen and, and Allen I, and all that and all that. You're right. And, and I said, whoa, this team hasn't proven they could get to 500. And I think all that pressure, uh, I think, kind of derailed this whole situation. And I was I was there in the opener when they played Green Bay, as a matter of fact. And Aaron Rodgers made this incredible play where he got a touchdown. And it was a close game. And the Packers won. And Jacksonville was driving. And there was a fourth down play. And Blake went for a quick out to the receiver. Green Bay read that and tackled him for a loss. And that was the end of the game. And I remember being over there, and I remember a lot of the chatter was, well, you know, you know, Blake had just come off that year where he, you know, was among the leaders in the NFL and touchdowns and mm-hmm. all that. And I remember a lot of the talk was, well, you know, they're working with Blake and being more of a short passing game, you know, not not so much focus on the offensive game. And sometimes when you try to change things up, it's like the golf swing. If you try to change some things up, you actually end up messing yourself up. And I wonder if, you know, when you're trying to t- tinker with some things. It kind of messes with you. And I think that happened with Blake. He didn't get any pass protection, which I do believe, by the way, I do believe in a quarterback that gets beat up and gets hit a lot that does take its toll mentally as much as physically after a while. You just get tired of getting hit. And I think it affected his mechanics. And I think there is some confidence uh, issues there with him. But I don't think he's gotten any benefit of the doubt in that franchise, especially since the new regime has come in. There's an article up on 538 right now, which which is entitled... Blake Bortles is the Tom Brady of garbage time, which means uh, uh, in garbage time, he's got, uh, f- was it 58 total career touchdown passes? Uh, mm-hmm. out, of his, out of his 69 career total, 58 of them have come in garbage time, uh, which, well, is yeah, best, which is best in the right. NFL. It's, it's, it's his, uh, you know, his passer rating in garbage time is, um, is it thirty-seven? A 37.9% higher than his non-garbage time passer rating, which is just astounding when you think about it. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, they're a bad team. I mean, they've been trailing a lot of games and it's a bad, and, and this is the thing I will say, him being drafted third overall probably didn't help because when you, you know, you, I think what happens here, Jeff, Right, you agree with this? If a, if a quarterback gets taken third, fourth, fifth, I think everybody assumes he's a franchise quarterback. Right. And the reality is, I never thought that Blake was going to be a franchise quarterback in the NFL. Doesn't mean you, he could not be solid and productive, but I never saw him as a Andrew Luck, who, by the way, is, he's having his own issues in Indianapolis anyway. Well, that franchise James, is also a catastrophe. So absolutely, no question, they've done a terrible job of of, of being around him. And that's why, by the way, Andrew Luck turns the ball over a lot, too, by the way. For all those people that want to criticize Bortles for his turnovers, Andrew Luck turns the ball over a lot as well. So, I mean, it's not like Blake's the only guy. Uh, now, the difference is I think Luck obviously has, certainly has got more physical tools and, and has done obviously led the Colts to an AFC title game 
et cetera. But he's definitely not got any support from management as far as supporting him with a team. But he's not Blake's not a guy like Jameis Winston, for example, who I do think has helped turn around the Buccaneer culture. He's not a franchise guy. You have to have guys around him. And I think Jacksonville has not done that in a very good job. And I think he's been set up because of that reason. If, if Blake would have been, let's say, a late first round pick, I don't even think we're having this conversation. But because he went third overall, I think people maybe expected the uh, the expectation to be super high. So sometimes that happens. Um, right, but if, you know, uh, if it, he was also a later first-round pick, then he would have gone to a place where he probably would have sat for a year or two. It might have been, and that might have been good. You yeah. know, what, you know we, we, we've become now in this mindset that the quarterback's got to play right away. And I, it's funny you bring that up because I remember his rookie year. Um, that was the talk. I mean, I remember, I think George O'Leary himself may have said that, and I think and I may have gotten criticized for it. There were people that said Blake needs to sit for a year. He needs to sit for a year and learn, you know, the NFL game and learn all this stuff. And I remember when the preseason, Chad Henney was so bad that people wanted Blake to play right away, and he played right away. Mm-hmm. So was that a good thing? Was that a bad thing? It depends on the eye of the beholder. So, you know, maybe that they rushed him and that kind of messed him up. Who knows? Um, the one thing that we can all agree is Chad Henney's terrible. And the fact that that's why this is hilarious that they're considering him starting unless your goal is to tank. And if that's the case, then Jacksonville's we're on their way. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, but, uh, so I, I, you know, there's a lot of what ifs and, and, and stuff like that. And for Blake, and uh, it's just unfortunate for him. Uh, I, and like I said, he hasn't performed great on the field. So I get the criticism on the field. My problem, Jeff, and my anger where it comes from is, a lot of the media has taken shots off the field and and they're, and they're bringing up things that quite frankly have nothing to do with what he does on the field, where he hangs out at night has none of anybody's business. Michael Jordan used to hang out all until late hours, God knows where, and he performed players are different, are different breeds. So I just think that we need to keep things on the field. I, I just don't like it when we start yeah. getting into well, who is this guy hanging out with? Who's is he doing this at, at what time of the hour? I, I don't think we should be judging him on that. If he was playing well, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be a concern. Sure, yeah, if it, it just wouldn't be. So, well, but, and I, but here's the thing too. I don't. I, if he was in a bigger market, I don't think we'd be nitpicking everything that he does. But because he's in a market where Jack, the, that's it. That's the only thing that goes on in Jacksonville. There's no NBA. There's no baseball. There's no college football. Even right. that's it. That's all they have. They just kind of obsess over that kind of stuff. Well, I'm looking forward. If you're looking for former UCF players who are, who are probably going to have a good year, um, I'm looking forward to what Brandon Marshall does with my Giants because that should be uh, that should and I'm at, that should be exciting. Considering that Eli Manning is going to have Brandon on one side, and of course Odell Beckham Jr. Who are you going to double? Right. So really, that's throwing Shepard there. And Sterling Shepard and my and my main man, Tavares King from Mount Airy, Georgia and Habersham Central High School um, it, it, as a potential number four guy out there. That should be that should be exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing what Brandon has um, has in mind for, you know, working with a quarterback like Eli Manning, who, in my opinion, is the best quarterback that Brandon Marshall has ever worked with. Well, it's not saying much. <laughs> well, well, let's let's be honest. You know, I mean, you know, when he was working with Jay Cutler, Jay Cutler was you know was considered one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. Now, since then, you know, we 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 know better, but we didn't know that at the time. I mean, he was all right, but yeah, I mean, he always better than Cutler. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's that's well, not I'm really not breaking any either. news there. I get it, but you know, <laughs> but let's face it. That's that's the truth, and it's a different system with the Giants. And he's going to be working Brandon, on the other side of, of Odell, which is going to be really fun to see. What I'm interested about, Brandon, real quick, this is going to be interesting. He, I'll be curious how he handles things there because he's not the guy there. That's Odell's right. team. And let's be honest. I mean, we just saw recently, you know this, Sheldon Richardson just trashed him from the Jets. And But does that speak more to Brandon or the Jets? I don't know, but I mean, that was a swift kick on the, you know what? Yeah, I mean that, you know, and there's that stigma with Brandon, fair or not, that he hasn't made the playoffs wherever he's gone, and 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 you know, my thing is this: I mean, he's he's a strong personality, and rightfully so, as most receivers are. How is he going to handle being the second or third option? And that might mean games where he doesn't really catch the ball. That's Odell's team. 
So it'll be interesting, that dynamic, I think, from that standpoint. Um, plus, I think he's still doing the TV stuff on the side, if I'm not mistaken, with Showtime. Uh, so uh, I, I just it'll be interesting because, you know, that New York media very well, Jeff, if things don't go well early, you know, they're going to ask him what's wrong and people are going to try and look for things. So I, he's got to be careful. With it. He's used to that with the Jets. But with all due respect to the Jets, I mean. They're not the Giants. This the, is the Giants. That's, yeah. a, that's a Giants town there, and 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 there's expectations with the Giants, and especially with the whole situation with Ezekiel and everything. Yeah, I'm just saying, if things aren't going smooth now, the thing that will help Brandon is, I think a lot of the immediate attention will be towards Odell because he's a star, and also and Brandon, that contract yeah. thing that came out. Also, don't forget about that with Odell but, too. So, I, can Brandon handle being under the radar and, and all that stuff? Will be very interesting to me. I think he will, but I, that is a plot to follow. Yeah, this, this is gonna, this is going to be interesting. I, I uh, and uh, and yeah, like as we go forward to the NFL season, I think that Brandon. I think I said this before on a previous show that Brandon might be poised to take back the championship belt as the best UCF player in the NFL from Latavius Murray. Although Latavius in Minnesota, that might be interesting also, but he's going to be competing with Dalvin Cook, so. Um, so anyway, like we said, Hey, you know, what's you know what the great best part is about this. We're talking football again, man. That's the best part. That's about right. It. So how the uh, heck do we turn into a giants talk? I can't <laughs> believe we talked giants. Oh, because, man. because I'm the one hosting this thing along with you and that's what happens, right? <laughs> All right, let's, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Don't forget guys. we got the first full weekend of, uh, of UCF action coming up. Uh, don't forget to follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. Follow us at UCF underscore Banneret. Also hit us up on Facebook. Um, and then also don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends you can do so via iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Uh, and, uh, yeah, leave us a rating, by the way, on, um, on iTunes as well. Let us know how we're doing. And uh, don't forget to contact us as well. Uh, via those various means. Also, contact, contact us via email, black and gold banneret. That's all spelled out, black and gold banneret at gmail.com. All right, Elo, enjoy the weekend. You too, Jeff. And thanks to you for listening. We will see you again next week here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.